Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, it's Chris Gethard here, and uh, welcome to New Jersey is the world. Uh, you can hear in my voice uh, already. I want to apologize to our patrons in particular. I owe you guys a live stream, and we owe you more ancillary content, but I think you can hear my voice is torn to shreds. And currently, I'm performing at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland. So what happens is I spend all day healing my voice, and then I go on stage, and I do an hour show, and it's like I swallowed razor blades, and then I heal again all day. So even, it's, good, it's good to hear. Though, even as I'm talking now, I can feel that my voice is bouncing back a little bit more. So that's a very reassuring sign that I'll be back on the horse soon. We'll be able to bring you more of the content that you're used to here. Um, and and uh, especially for the patrons, thanks so much for being patient, sticking with us. It's very cool of you. Very kind of you. It's also very cool and kind of the other members of the Garden State Cahoots to step up this week and organize a fascinating interview. Uh, we have come to know our new friend, Dr. Brian, who is uh, recent here in New Jersey, but who happens to have some expertise on some things that we've always wondered about. And it's very, very nice of Dr. Brian to step up and enlighten us. So thank you, Dr. Brian. Thank you to the uh, fellow members of the Gagoots. And I'll tell you, even right now, my voice, I think, sounds horrible. But two days ago, you would have been like, oh, shit, Geth, go to a doctor. So it's bouncing back, and I'm hoping in the next couple of days we'll be back going at full capacity all right enjoy the interview hi everyone and welcome to new jersey is the world as you can tell it is not me chris gethard it is me mike d <laughs> uh chris is in scotland doing the fringe festival and normally we would just record together but he's also lost his voice i just spoke with him and he sounds like Marlon Brando in The Godfather. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, Geth, that you're having a rough time over there in, uh, in Scotland. Um, so, what we've decided to do is we've had something cooking up for a little while that we're super, super excited about. And, you know, so this is... For people who've listened for a while, you know, we more or less have, like, two kinds of Wotown episodes. We have... Geth episodes and we have Mike D episodes and the Mike D episodes <laughs> tend to be extremely nerdy. And I think this is going to be extremely nerdy. And so again, people who've been, been following along, you've heard us talk a little bit about Emilio Carranza and the Carranza Memorial. Like this has come up a whole bunch of times on the show, but the reality is we do not know anything about, or at least I don't know anything about Emilio Carranza other than that he was a pilot and there is a memorial to him down there in South Jersey, which I was, I was just at pretty recently. But through a very cool set of circumstances, me and my, my neighbor, who is also a podcast listener, my friend and a friend of the podcast, Dr. Brian happens to be a doctor. What are, so tell us uh tell us how you became a doctor and what you're a doctor of. Yeah, I have uh I've earned my doctorate in Latin American history from Rutgers. Um That's a mark against you right away. <laughs> well, you know. Oddly enough, I won't graduate officially until October, but um yeah, and so my degree is in um, Latin American history, but my specialization is uh, modern Mexico, 
Carranza is going to be a little bit outside of like what I usually do, but um, yeah, this is the kind of like Mexican history is, is what I do and kind of what I devoted my dissertation to. So this is so cool. And so uh, you've got myself, you've got Andrea. Hey, Andrea. Hey, I'm not usually here for these. I'm excited. I'm excited too. Either am I. I'm usually not invited. So. <laughs> And you've got, uh, we got Nikki Bonaduce as well. I am here, yes. And I've been sitting in the sun for three hours. So, you know, there's gonna be lots of editing on this one probably. But I'll be good, I promise. <laughs> He's baked. <laughs> like literally, <laughs> probably baked. We have the Wotown crew and we have special guest, Dr. Brian. And we're gonna talk about Emilio Carranza, awesome. which to me has always been a bit of a mystery. Um, like I said, I can r- maybe we can all quickly run down what we know. Like literally, the only things I know about Emilio Carranza are he was a Mexican pilot. Some people said that he was the Mexican Charles Lindbergh, although I imagine he probably said that Charles Lindbergh was the Mexican <laughs> Emilio Carranza, and. He crashed somewhere in New Jersey in the Pine Barrens and that in Tabernacle, New Jersey, there is a memorial to him that's kind of off into the woods, which Bonaduce and I have accidentally stumbled upon several times in our lives, (laughs) never once actually planning to go there. That's as much as I know. In fact, I don't think you can uh, reach the memorial on purpose, right? Um, I think you can only get there accidentally. I almost, I almost looked some stuff up today because I was like, I should go into this knowing a little bit, and then I changed my mind. So that's as, as much as I've got. Well, because being shamed about it in the past and my my uh, mention of him, I actually looked it up, and I was like, um, he was pretty much like going to be like the hero of Mexico, from what I knew. And there was this, you know, um, thing with flying and the entire world at the time and aviation and this like you know race to do what nobody else had done. And he was going to be like the pride of Mexico at the time. And he, and he flew under like, from what I understood, like bad circumstances, um, because of, uh, pressures from politically also like pressures that he put on himself and the poor motherfucker winded up in Jersey in the Pine Barrens. So I, I do want to say, I have also been to the, the memorial and, and you can get there by deliberately planning, but it's still very confusing. Um, like, I mean, yeah, like I was kind of amazed, like it's down these like sandy dirt paths. There's not even like a paved road to get you there. So yeah, I mean, you have to want to go, I think to get there. Locate it right near Leo's Yum Yum. Ah. Uh, half a mile away and the big gorilla yep and the big gorilla that is yes. both there so so brian where's a good place to start the story of emilio carranza like where where does the story begin with this guy so before we begin this i just want to say um I, look i know i'm a guest and i, I don't want to throw shade but i wore <laughs> my new jersey is the world shirt that i got at uh below the collar.com <laughs> Chris Gethard. Oh my God. Shameless thank plug you. with thank plug, you. Plug, plug, plug. And so I thought we were all going to be wearing our shirts. And so I, I thought this was like a uniform thing. If you want, I can take my shirt off and put on a handkerchief and I can make it look like the one t-shirt if you really want. Would that make you feel better? Eh, no, I'm, I'm good. I think, I think, I think okay. I'm good. But right. you know, I just want to say like, you know, if you were looking for like a work uniform, like this shirt is very comfortable and, and I really enjoy wearing it. So anyway, so, all right, <laughs> enough for the, of the shameless plug. But um, so I guess when we start, I want to say um, there's a lot of information, as, as you know, Nick kind of alluded to. It's there's a lot of information on the internet, um, and so when I was doing this research, I really kind of had to narrow what I was doing, and so I looked at probably about 150 newspaper articles published in Mexican limited 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, this is just like a quick scan, right? So, um, in Mexican and American newspapers, specifically in the 1920s, because I really kind of wanted to, to get like what was going on, what people thought in the moment. Um, but I also want to kind of preface like th- these accounts are not perfect, right? Some accounts differ from like one newspaper to the next, um, and there's you know some additional challenges in this research, notably. Look, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Philadelphia Inquirer, great magazines, but maybe not up on you know Mexican current events to the degree that, that we would hope. So when there are kind of discrepancies and when there are um, you know kind of incorrect dates for events in Mexico, I, I'm going to try as we talk about this to kind of let you know. Um, and one of the big ones actually from from the start is that. Um, Emilio Carranza's father, whose name was Sebastian Carranza, was actually a diplomat stationed in New York City. And so he's interviewed by the New York Times in 1928. And look, I can't tell if it was um, Carranza's father or whoever was writing the article. Um, But basically, they cite a, a revolution, a revolt in Mexico called the De La Huerta Revolt. As occurring in 1926, when it actually was in 1923. Mm. Um, So... You know, that's kind of one of the issues. And again, when there's discrepancies, I'm going to hope to, you know, clue everyone in. But I may say, like, I'm not sure what time it is, what time this occurred because of little discrepancies like that. So um, should we start with family background? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about yes. it. It sounds like his dad was somebody important, too. <laughs> yeah. So so this is the, the thing. Emilio Carranza is actually from, like, his family is big time, huge. Um there's not a lot of information on Emilio Carranza himself, hmm. but it seems that he, at least his extended family, is very well off. They're landholders in the Mexican state of Coahuila, and um, they actually, his family rises significantly in political power over the course of Emilio Carranza's life. We just noted his father works for the U.S. Embassy in New York City. Um, his uncle, or maybe great uncle, uh, whose name is Oh, Vinociano Carranza actually is the senator from the state of Coahuila when Emilio was born in 1905. And then that uncle goes on to become the governor of the state of Coahuila. And then he goes on to be elected president of Mexico in 1917. Wow. Wow. So this is like a a very powerful family. Now, again, I want to caution, like maybe his dad wasn't super powerful, but the family is. So like this opportunity is, is something that probably most people in Mexico are not afforded because of kind of the level of privilege that that the Carranza family enjoys in Mexico in the 1920s. Where did they get their money from as like a wealthy family? Like, how did they get wealthy? It appears that, again, like kind of some surface uh, research I've done, it appears that um, the, the Carranza family is involved in cattle in this state. They're large landholders and... Um, in Mexico, they're called hacendados, and they probably own like a significant amount of land. Um, and and we can get into some of the other events that kind of lead into you know how his, especially his uh, uncle or great uncle comes to power. But you know they're they're cattle ranchers in northern Mexico, um, and there's a lot of opportunity there because. And again, I don't know this specific family, but there's a lot of. Uh, American investment and probably some cattle that are being shipped to the United States. Again, I, I'm not positive, but 
there's a lot of opportunities for large landowners in northern Mexico to make some money, um, especially between you know in the first decade of the 20th, 20th century. So that cattle life. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Shaking down all your uh, serfs on your land that you're leasing out. Of course, it's going to be very lucrative. <laughs> yes, very. And, and this is this is a problem, right? And and actually, Nick, that gets us into what's going on in Mexico at the time. So, in in like from about the 1880, the 1890s, sorry, 1890s to like the 1910s, this man named Porfirio Diaz is in power in Mexico. And he's very much interested in kind of advancing the country economically. But part of that is because part of how he achieves that is he gives these concessions to foreign corporations, specifically uh, a lot of concessions in the United States. And so there, this is also a period where wealthy elites are amassing huge amounts of lands in Mexico and um, basically having different kinds of, I mean, some people are basically, for lack of a better term, maybe not enslaved, but what we would think of as like indentured servitude, right? They live on the land that the hacendado owns, the landowner owns, they work for that person, and then they get, sometimes they get paid in script, which is like not real money, right? Like, um, like I mean, for lack of a better term, again, monopoly money, right? That they can only use at the company store. Um, and, and, Eventually, what happens is these people get into cycles of deep debt in Mexico. In some places, there's probably more out straight up slavery, um, especially in some parts of, of southern Mexico. And so this situation is not great. Mexico has an export oriented culture or economy. Um, and so like they're producing a lot of agricultural goods, mining and extracting oil, you know, as a means of economic advancement. And so in 1911, um, this man named Francisco Madero, um, who goes on to be president of Mexico, actually calls for a, a revolution, a popular uprising. Um, he calls for it before 1911, but it, look, this is 1910, 1911. But so what happens is there is a very successful revolution and the, kind of the man Porfirio Diaz that was kind of in control of Mexico, for lack of a better term, like the dictator of Mexico, um, he actually resigns. And so Madero basically becomes Mexico's president from 1911 to 1913. Now, during this time, and this is probably one of those notes where like Carranza, Emilio Carranza enjoys some success, Emilio Carranza leaves Mexico. Uh, we think... I think 1910 to 1911 and actually lives in San Antonio and probably to escape some of the ravages of the revolutionary violence that is happening in Mexico. If the family's landowners, again, I don't know about this specific group, but landowners are, you know, not in a good position in Mexico at the time. Kind of the peons, the people that work for them are uprising and kind of like overthrowing, you know, rich landowners and reclaiming land that belonged to the indigenous populations of Mexico that were kind of forcibly taken from them. So um, Carranza then 1913, 1914 moves to Eagle Pass, Texas. So there's, you know, he's, he's largely out of, you know, kind of the revolution doesn't move back to Mexico Emilio Carranza that is until 1914. So basically Emilio Carranza is like, 
there's revolutionaries coming to probably kill me and my family, so I'm going to split to Texas to get away from this. <laughs> was he flying the whole time? Had he started his flying career at that point yet? Or To be fair, in like 1910, he's maybe five or six years old, so he's still a child. He was born oh, in, okay. he was born so in 1905. Like, I'm sorry. Oh, man. I, I should yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah, he's no, born right. in 1905, so the family is moving probably. I mean, we talked about his father, Sebastian. Yeah. He's probably moving these people, moving his family out, and so... You know, he, he doesn't, when he comes back to Mexico City, he's like maybe nine or ten years old. So, you know, that's what's going on. Um, meanwhile, uh, and, and maybe part of the reason he moves back, I'm not entirely sure. And we can dig a little bit deeper if you want. But Francisco Madero, who kind of was the leader of the revolution. Um, I mean, look, I love Mexican history, obviously. So... The United States ambassador, Henry Lane Wilson, to Mexico, kind of decides that he doesn't like Madero. <laughs> and so he makes kind of, he arranges a secret meeting between, uh, again, the Porfirio Diaz, who was the man in power in Mexico up until Madero. His nephew, Felix Diaz, is kind of leading, a, a, for lack of a better term, like an armed rebellion in Mexico City. So Henry Lane Wilson like basically gets Madero's general Adolfo Huerta together with Felix Diaz and they make a deal where basically to be appointed as provisional president of Mexico Huerta basically turns on Madero and joins Felix Diaz and so you know they depose Madero Madero is assassinated and so Huerta becomes president of Mexico. And this is where we're going to kind of pick up the thread we had with uh, the uncle or great uncle, Vinociano Carranza. He's actually part of this group. I mean, like this Huerta guy's not elected. They've been you know, involved. He's the governor of, of this state, right? Carranza, Vestuniano Carranza is the governor of the state. And so Carranza, along with uh, Alvaro Obregón and people... You, Pancho Villa and I am quite quite familiar with the Elvez song. We've got the arm of Obregon, which is a great <laughs> Elvez song. Yeah, yeah. so uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So we can get into that too. Um, yeah, and so and also Emiliano Zapata. They kind of join forces temporarily to fight to get rid of the Suerta guy, and then once Suerta is deposed, kind of you have these Obregon and the elder Carranza, Uncle Carranza. They kind of join forces on one side, and Villa and Zapata join on the other side, and they have kind of an internal civil war, and things get really, really bad. Um, in Mexico, there's hunger and famine and violence. Um, and kind of to turn the tide, the United States earlier in this revolution landed forces at Veracruz in Mexico, and so Carranza and Obregón go to Veracruz, and the United States states forces leave, but they don't take the m military equipment that they had. They kind yeah. of leave it. And so Carranza and Obregón get this equipment, kind of like Jeeps, stuff that uh, barbed wire, information, like things are, that you know the United States is using um, at the time, kind of the stuff that you would have seen in, in World War One. And they mow down basically Villa's forces who are on horseback and have like old fashioned rifles, um, you know. And so what happens is 
kind of Uncle Carranza, right, becomes um, kind of the national executive as the first chief. And from that point, this is about mm, sometime, maybe 19, a little bit after 1914, sometime in there, he creates, uh, he has a, Carranza creates kind of a constitutional convention. They create the Mexican Constitution of 1917. And then um, in 1917, Uncle Carranza also becomes elected as you know, president of Mexico. But this is not a great time for the people of Mexico. Like for you know, <laughs> there's again indiscriminate violence, um, and and I want to say, you know, especially falls hard on the women of Mexico who find themselves. I mean, everyone probably you know loses family members that are in the fighting, but you know, women really find themselves uh, also targets of. You know, indiscriminate physical violence and sexual violence and so this is like a really difficult period in mexican history and so yeah that that's not great <laughs> so <clears throat> uncle carranza not a good dude <laughs> difficult I, I mean like i i don't know i mean i he does create this constitution right which is really important and kind of is the basis of the modern mexican state um, and, and by the way, in this fighting between Villa and Obregón is when uh, Obregón's arm is cut off, right? So he's, he has his arm amputated. And so you'll see pictures of Alvaro Obregón later. You know, I mean, like the fact that he lost an arm is, is a pretty big deal. So They kept the arm, though, right? Isn't that the thing? Isn't it like a... Is it like in a Catholic church now or something? That I don't know. I thought it was kind of like... Gotta be somewhere. Somebody has I, I It's think, gotta be somewhere. Well, no, I think they kept his arm kind of like how uh, Jean Danjo, who was like a... Um, he was like a really famous um, like officer in the Foreign Legion. And he was the one who like made this famous last stand and he had like a wooden hand and like nothing was left of him except the wooden hand. But if you ever go to the, the Foreign Legion Museum, they have like Jean Danjo's hand and it's like their sacred, like one of the sacred things of the Foreign Legion. Maybe, maybe inside the concrete monument of, uh, <laughs> maybe there is a Ron's arm is buried in the footing of that. It looks like, um, as of 1989, uh, this is a New York Times article I just found. Uh, it looks like um, he lost his arm to the elbow during a battle on June 3rd, 1915. For the last 54 years, this was in 89. The limb had been on display in a jar of yes. formaldehyde <gasps> at a large pink and black marble monument here, um, surrounded by inscriptions praising the generals, a military genius, and a paladin of the institutions that prevail in Mexico today. And it was buried. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Um, you can't see it anymore? It does not look like you can see it anymore. Now you have to go to a headstone. <laughs> so, I mean, my guess is it's buried in the monument to the revolution, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what it looks like. Uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and then I will hand this right back to you, uh, Dr. Brian. <laughs> so they just should replace it with another arm. <gasps> just uh, like yeah, Mar Marquez's like, grand idea. Just any other arm. It's fine. Like, go find, a, go find me an arm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. So. That's, that's an idea. So we've been talking about Obregón. There's a, so, and we've talked about how uh, Venustiano Carranza, Uncle Carranza, is is you know the the president of Mexico. Obregón decides that he would like to be president of Mexico, and Uncle Carranza is maybe not the biggest fan of that. And so, <laughs> in 1920, Obregón leads forces into Mexico City to take control, and. Obregón is kind of the military leader, right? Like, like, 
Carranza, the president, is more of like kind of a politician at this point, right? Um, and so Carranza leaves the city, flees the city, and while he's fleeing, is assassinated or potentially commits suicide, but I think kind of we've accepted that he's assassinated. So kind of a, a change. more, Much more honorable than retreating and killing yourself. Yes, yeah. I'm sure. So then Obregón becomes president uh, of Mexico from 1920 to 1924. Um, so during this period at some time, let's get back to Emilio Carranza. Emilio Carranza enrolls in Mexico's aviation school. Um, again, because of the historical account in the New York Times, it's not really clear because it's kind of based on this revolt happening in 1926, which it doesn't happen. Um, there's some difference in historical accounts. But kind of the most widely reported date for Emilio Carranza entering this academy is 1923. 1923 is also when Sebastian Carranza becomes part of like the Mexican consulate of the United States, which, and again, maybe there'll be kind of a choose your own adventure element of, of what we're going <laughs> through. But uh, and we can talk about this. But the United States restores uh, diplomatic relations with Mexico in 1923. So that is kind of the thing that allows Sebastian Carranza to kind of go. Um, to the United States as an ambassador. Is the Flying Academy like a like a military institution? Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of like the Air Force Academy or something like that. A little bit, yeah. And so actually, um, you know, this this like rebellion um, that we've kind of talked about the the De La Huerta rebellion occurs in 1923 and 1924, and during that time, um, and again. We can decide if you want me to go deeper into why this revolt happens, we can. But basically what happens is um, you know, Emiliano Carranza is on the side of the government and he and other uh, airplane pilots kind of distinguish themselves fighting the rebels and kind of earn, you know, um, adulation, earn some honors as part of the military. So he's involved in that kind of in the middle of his time at this uh aviation school crazy i also just realized <clears throat> that in my own ignorance i have been for the last 30 years of my life new jersey izing him and calling him emilio carranza like he's a kid i grew up with in dork and that is not <laughs> actually his name <laughs> yeah i don't know anything about aviation at that time right i guess yeah no i think it was just like it was a crazy time where like everybody was you know flying like you know World War One was like the first time you're really starting to use like airplanes in battle or be able to like fly over and drop hand grenades and stuff like that. And you know, there was some air to air combat. Um, but as on a whole, it was like there was like, you know, barnstormers flying across the country and doing air shows and it was like the hot new thing and that you know, was just a great, great time in like I guess world history. Maybe not politically for some people being <laughs> killed and slaughtered in Mexico, but as far as the timeline of, uh, you know, the advancement of civilization and air flight, it was pretty, pretty hopping time. Yeah, hell yeah. Very true. But flying is at the time is actually really, really dangerous. And so we'll get into some of that as we proceed. But let's move on. To- well, they have, I have one more question. Yeah, yeah, is of there course. Gonna be, is there going to be a test at the end of this? Because I haven't <laughs> been taking notes. I can neither confirm nor deny. I, okay, good. Whew. 
And how much of this exam goes towards my final grade? That's what I want to know. One hundred percent. Oh God. Screw it, buddy. Do or die. Okay, I'm ready. That's right. You I'm can drop you off of me and Mike. We don't I'm mind. I'm absorbing a lot right now. <laughs> Very into the semester, and like you have to pass it to pass the course. I do. We've all you know, been there. We've all been there. So. Called damage control. Yeah. <laughs> so f- of course, flying is dangerous, and so Nick is right. Like we can kind of look through Carranza. There's not a whole lot of information, but what information I was able to find, you know, we can look at Carranza as kind of a, a way to view flight in general. So in 1926, um, he's you know flying from Chicago to Mexico. I don't think this is a, a nonstop flight. He's I think he's making stops. Um, and then in 1926, he attempts this nonstop flight from Mexico City to Ciudad Juarez, which is south of El Paso. When he's doing that, his plane catches fire and he has to kind of stop. Um, and then in early 1928, he's flying from Mexico City west, probably to, to Baja, California, and his plane is damaged and actually becomes lost in the Sonoran Desert. Like, not the plane, him. He, he gets lost. And I don't know if anyone has been to the Sonoran Desert. Uh, I think it, I have not. <clears throat> I think it extends into what is now, like, Texas's Big Bend National Park area, but it's not a place where you want to be lost. Um, Everything looks the same. Yeah, and it's really, I mean, obviously it's a desert, right? Like, that's not a great place to get lost, and, and hopefully you have a lot of water, um, but if you don't, uh, you know, probably not ideal. So, yeah. So, that's kind of his early career. Um, and so, he does make it, Emilio Carranza makes a name for himself. And so, kind of, it's decided that he is going to make this Goodwill flight. Um, Lindbergh made a Goodwill flight, I think, from Washington, D.C. to Mexico City. And so the, there's kind of this reciprocal notion that Carranza is going to fly back. Um, and Lindbergh does you know, pop into kind of the record uh, every now and then. Um, like They've interacted, Carranza and, and Lindbergh. I mean, I don't know if they're best friends, but you know, Carranza is attending celebrations for Lindbergh, and Lindbergh is you know kind of providing some like encouragement for Carranza as this progresses. So, um, awesome. so in early 1928, Carranza attracts a patron um, in the Mexico newspaper uh, Excelsior, and they began this donation campaign to collect um, you know, funds to support this Goodwill flight, um, which Carranza is planning to fly nonstop from Mexico City to Washington, D.C., so, and I just wanted to ask you, it sounds pretty cool to be a patron, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... He, he put out an extra radio broadcast each week, but it's on a frequency that only his patrons can hear. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That was what I was going to say. If someone's listening to this and they like the idea of being a patron, <laughs> like the Mexico newspaper Excelsior, they can go to patreon.com and look for New Jersey is the World, and for as little as $1 a month... That's true. $1 a month, they can join the New Jersey is the World Patreon. And for enough money, you can actually do your own show with all of us. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that was a tier, but yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Cash in the envelope, motherfucker. The best thing about this is we've been doing this for, I don't know how long now, like almost two years, and we've never... We're all so bad at plugging our own thing that yeah. you, that Brian, you have just done a better job of advertising our own podcast than we have ever done in nearly two years. A hundred percent. So, I mean, I think part of this is like, I, I'm not like formally part of the podcast. So like, 
I can say like, hey, these are people, this is a project that this art project really that I love and I, I've supported personally with a t-shirt, with a Patreon membership. And, and so, <laughs> but, but because like, I'm not, in, I don't know, maybe like being a little bit of an outsider, I can kind of promote it. But I mean, like, uh, look, I think it's a great value. And I will say this, I don't know how this is going to get posted in the feed, but I will promise because I'm a patron, I will respond. Look, if you have listened to this and you think I'm a complete idiot and you want to <laughs> respond on the Patreon to this episode, I'll respond to you. I'll probably say, like, thank you for your comment. I hope you enjoy the podcast and the art that these wonderful creators are, are making. But, you know, there's that. So I, I will pledge that. If you want to make a uh, direct contribution to the story, you can uh, show... And the Patreon level, you can actually come to Seaside Heights, New Jersey, and you can meet me at the Beachcomber and buy me a beer anytime. Wow. And that'll cost you about seven dollars. So that's a new level. Or the taco tour to the monument, where we stop along the way and eat ethnic food uh, tied to the entire Mexican American history. A celebration of Corona and, fl and flight. Yes, yeah. and flight combined. We'll hit every public airport from here down. <laughs> Sorry, I derailed it. No, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, we're here to shameless, learn. Shameless plugging? I'm sorry, what was happening? No, yeah, we're here to learn and have fun. And, and, you know, so basically what we see is by April 1928, Excelsior has raised the money that they need to send Carranza. It's, look, this is a little difficult. I'm going to say $25,000 because I think that's what it is, but it might be 25,000 pesos if you decide to, to start a career as a historian of Mexico. The dollar sign and the peso sign are identical. Huh. So huh. that will lead some confusion. I think it's a dollar, though, because yeah. we'll get into what's going on. But if it is dollars, that's about uh, $433,000 now for this flight. And so, um, look, you know, as, as kind of Nick indicated, this is a really big deal for, for the Mexican people. And this flight is something they're really focused on. And they see this as like this amazing outlet to bring glory to Mexico. So the whole country's kind of all in on this flight. Um, and it's a really big deal. Um, Do we have any idea what the money like is for? Like what, yeah. what, what types of things go are needed? Like fuel? Was of course. So Carranza, so they commission a plane to be built in San Diego. And so... In San Diego, there's this plane being built. Uh, the Mexican press reports that um, Carranza visits his metal bird often <laughs> and you know, kind of claims that the mere announcement that Carranza is going to, to fly to Washington, D.C. nonstop uh, is a great effort and uh, has aroused worldwide interest. And so you might wonder what, what this will get you. What will get you, um, and this is from... A plane, so here, Carranza sits at the front of the tank, the gas tank, for visibility in all directions. But I will say, the plane does not have lights. This is this will be important. It'll be on the quiz later, yeah. Nick. So, um, no, this part, yeah, I remember. So, okay. to enter the plane, Carranza crawls through a small door on the right side of the fuselage. Okay. This will get you this, you know, 400 some odd thousand dollars. We'll get you a plane that measures 46 feet between wingtips. Weighs uh, 1,870 pounds and carries 420 gallons of gasoline, nice. 10 gallons of oil, and is powered by the right whirlwind motor. Um, it can attain speeds of 130 miles an hour, lands at 45 miles an hour, and climbs at a rate of 1,000 feet per minute. Uh, it takes off in 600 feet, empty, and 
has a service ceiling of 16,000 feet. Wow. So that's what the money buys. But you said no lights? No lights, yeah. I don't I don't know anything about planes, but is that does anybody know is that standard for planes to not have lights? Not anymore. I think it was a standard at like at the, at the time not there weren't that many like planes flying around, so there weren't necessarily like lights on your plane, but the fact of the matter is it's not going to really ever be able to shine down enough to like Okay. see the ground below you. So you're looking for landmarks like when you're flying the whole time. Right, that makes sense. So blinking lights, towers and stuff like that. So at the time probably was like radio towers were probably one of the most prominent landmarkers that um, pilots would use to like triangulate their, and they'd also use. I mean, this is before them. Now there was they'd use radio signals, but I don't think they even did that then. I think it was like pure no. compass and map kind of like bullshit. Yeah, you know? like dead reckoning. Like you're yeah. flying by like airspeed and compass d- yeah. direction. Yeah. It also seems that I'm looking at a picture of Emilio Carranza. It also seems that some of that money went to a super cool <laughs> leather jumpsuit with giant furry lapels, which I am a instant fan of uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's cold yeah, it's up there man yeah it's yeah. got a cool no heating in those planes cool no jumpsuit <laughs> and also wears a tie underneath it which I find uh, pretty yeah. pretty fetching quite the gotta, dapper fellow gotta be ready for any any eventuality so that's good any social engagement at any moment that's right absolutely so the other thing this buys is a lot of gasoline um Mm. I mean, it's really important because, like, he's making this nonstop flight uh, to Washington D.C., and he's going to make a nonstop flight from Washington D.C. back. Um, uh, so, you know, maintenance, upkeep along the way. Absolutely. So, Carranza in May, May twenty fourth, twenty fifth, Carranza takes the new plane, which they named the Mexico Excelsior, from San Diego to Mexico City. This is about uh, one thousand five hundred seventy five miles. But it's actually pretty dangerous because he's flying over the Sierra Madre Occidental mountain range, um, which is not ideal, right? Mountain ranges and planes probably not the greatest thing to mix. <laughs> and the other thing is when you're flying into Mexico City, you know, Mexico City sits in a valley and is surrounded by mountains as well. So mountainous terrain, he's kind of navigating. Um, but so you know, to, to give some notion of like how big a deal this is, when Carranza lands in Mexico City, this cheering crowd greets him, like holds them up on, you know, hoists him up on the shoulders, takes him to go meet President uh, Plutarco Callas and the U.S. ambassador to Mexico. And basically, this flight alone, Carranza, you know, the newspapers report Carranza kind of gives this like, mystery envelope to, to Carranza gets this mystery envelope from the president, which appears to be a promotion to the rank of captain in, in the Mexican military. So, awesome, big deal, yeah. big deal. And yeah. and again, like this is. So he's Captain Carranza. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Now that he's got the plane, he's in Mexico City, he starts to prep for the flight. Um, so I will say, at the time, you know, we talked about the adulation of people on the ground. This isn't the only benefit of being a, a pilot. Um, a Mexican newspaper reports that uh, Carranza began to make flights around the Valley of Mexico and was accompanied on some of these flights by, quote, European beauties. <laughs> I mean, if you've got a plane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then he took Miss Cuba. Um, the actual Miss Cuba was, was taken on an extensive flight in his plane. So there's some maybe some benefits to uh, to being a successful definitely. pilot. I don't the know. Pilots were definitely <laughs> pimps, for sure. Hell yeah. Pilots, I think, are still pimps. <laughs> it's true. Now, maybe now we have more insight into why the uh, plane, why he ended up crashing. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. He picked up like Miss Texas on the way up and like 
<laughs> you want to go to Jersey? No, he picked up Miss Pine, Miss Pine Barrens. <laughs> That's right. Damn right. <laughs> Look, I don't want to spoil it. It was the Jersey Devil that he picked up. <laughs> Probably ran into his plane. It was Miss mm-hmm. Runnymede. Well, it was like flying next to him, and then he let the Jersey Devil into the plane, actually. That's... He's like, I've been up here too long. i got to fucking land this bitch. I'm starting mm-hmm. to see Jersey Devils. Yeah. <laughs> so... In early June 1928, um, Carranza starts to make uh, final tests. And at the time, Mexico's Secretary of Public Education actually publishes this huge thing, like basically telling teachers, like, hey, we're going to celebrate this. Like, we want to do a lot of work to celebrate this. And so, like, again, the importance of this flight for, for people in Mexico, like, there's, you know, they're, like, they're going to let, you know, they're like planning to like get the kids in on it and everything. I mean, it's it's a really big deal. So it's like the challenger. Is it still big now? What Do people still party? Like is this day still celebrated? You know, it's unclear. Um, mm. So honestly, like some access to like there's a point at which like in in 1929 it gets real hard to kind of follow um, Carranza as like a, a person and like the celebration because and spoiler. Um, there's schools, streets, cities in, in Mexico named after him. And so, look, you know, there was a point at which I was like, well, I've, I've done a lot of searches. I kind of narrowed the parameters because at some point it was like, you know, the, the, the national kind of newspaper archive of Mexico was like pulling stuff like, you know, this guy was arrested for being drunk on Emilio Carranza Street, or like <laughs> there was an automobile accident on Emilio Carranza Street. Oh, it's even better. The yeah, mayor. Perfect. Yeah. So, you know, I thought, uh, I mean, I, I think they do still celebrate, and there's some evidence that they celebrate into the 1930s, and I'm, I'm sure they do. Um, and, and we can get in, we'll get into that a little bit later, but yeah. Um, so, some things to know, uh, and one of the biggest challenges that Carranza faces is, is kind of the weight of the plane um, and that he's planning a nonstop flight. He needs like 420 gallons of gas. Now, I'm not a mathematician. I could be completely wrong. Again, if I'm wrong and you know that I'm wrong, join the Patreon, <laughs> go into this episode and comment and tell me how wrong I am. But my very cursory internet search said that like it's like 2,600 pounds of gasoline. Which I don't think can be right, but I, I anyway. That's, well, I mean, water weighs eight pounds a gallon. Yeah, I'll tell yeah. you. They'll tell you. Gas uh, is yeah lighter than water. Version for that, and that was probably leaded gasoline. <laughs> In addition to the weight of the plane, there's also like the weight of a Ford Fiesta <laughs> that he's got to get right, and so this weight makes it really hard to take off from Mexico City because Mexico City is seven thousand two hundred feet above sea level. As we talked about, surrounded by mountains, so like this is one of the challenges he faces. And Mexico even has to build like a special runway just for him to like get off with this much gasoline. Uh-huh. And again, this is because he's making a nonstop flight. Um, so and the other thing, so and and there's also commentary. So Lindbergh flies from DC to Mexico City, and so by the time he gets to Mexico City, he's ex- expended most of the gas. So the weight for Lindbergh lets him. To, have like lift to get into over the mountains and into Mexico city a little bit easier. So, um, so twice between June 5th and June 10th, Carranza like announces like, Hey, I'm going, it's on, but then he has to cancel. Um, 
And some of the reasons he's exhausted one time, he has gasoline trouble for these cancellations. And so the New York Times reports that as a result of kind of having to cancel, Carranza becomes increasingly secretive about the flight and like doesn't even share details mm-hmm. with Excelsior, who his, who's his patron, kind of the people that have raised the money. So uh, this, will, this will come up again later, kind of the secretive nature, especially around failures. It seems like he's... Like most people, like he's not real pleased, right? I mean, I wouldn't be happy if I was in this situation either. So, um, and then like kind of a, a weird fact that I found at some point in time in June, Alvaro Obregón, who had been Mexico's president and was no longer, but had been actually elected to be president of Mexico again. This is the man who you know forced uh, Mila Carranza's uncle out of Mexico City, which led to his untimely death, takes out an insurance policy or offers to take out an insurance policy on Emilio Carranza. I don't know about you, but the guy that was partially responsible for my uncle's death is not someone that I'm going to let buy me an insurance policy, and neither is Carranza, who basically kind of publicly says, like, yeah, yeah, thanks, but the newspaper already has bought me $25,000 in insurance. So mm, That sounds like some some pretty clever racketeering like oh, i'm just gonna buy this uh, insurance policy after i killed your uncle like, yeah uh, yeah right no n- nothing to see here don't worry about it i mean i guess i can see like i mean this is a big deal and and Obergon is the president-elect so i think a little bit he's trying to say like hey i support what's going on here but it's a really look mexican politics at this time there's a lot going on so i want to know who the underwriter was for that insurance policy. <laughs> that like, I don't know. That I like, don't know. Uh, like, yeah, I think we're not going to take this one. Thanks. All right. So let's get into the nitty gritty of this guy fucking actually flying this motherfucker. Now. What happens? <laughs> okay. like, what's happening? I know there's, there's a lot of turmoil around this part of yeah, yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Nick didn't sign up for history one Oh two. All right. Um, <laughs> listen, I was a history major. Okay. I don't give a shit. Were you? Yeah. Fucking a. Let's go Mountaineers motherfucker. How, how do you rate me right now? I don't know. You're lacking in your primary sources and, uh, you know, <gasps> this you is accessibility. you're making excuses for the way your search was set up wow. and I'm picking up accidents on streets. Nick chooses. A lot of fucking, there's a lot of fucking excuse making, motherfucker. You gotta step it up, Dr. Brian. All right, all right. Yo, you got fucking A team here. You got Mike D, you got me, you got Andrea. You know what I mean? Yeah, all right, all right. And I'm going off of shit that I read like six months ago. So, yeah, all right, fair, Come on. fair enough. All right. No, we want to see some. Do you have an alter ego? I don't. No, I don't have a Bonaduce. You don't? <laughs> You you, ha- you you need one for situations like this, okay? It's the only thing that can save you. All right, we'll make a deal. I will create an... I alt- want details. I want graphic details. <laughs> I want it to be like, he's like, you know, they they found him with 14 squashed like ham sandwiches and they were jammed under like his fucking, you know, his pedal so he couldn't pull out of this dive. Like, what happened? What really happened? Look, this is a lot... Tell from, me. This, I need to know. This is a lot from a guy who, the first time I heard the podcast, I thought was pretending to be a Baba Duke. <laughs> I give you some. Um, You're not even wearing a top hat, and you don't have a real beard. So. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Baba. Baba Duke. All right. So June 11th, Carranza begins the flight to Washington D.C. We're there. We're there, Nick. All right. So, what's it like that day? There is, but in Mexico, it's kind of this national celebration. Um, there's like celebrations planned all over Mexico to celebrate the arrival in Washington D.C. Like all the factories are gonna, you know, have their whistles going off so much so that the newspaper reports it will deafen 
uh, the space of the because of this national triumph. They're going to close all public offices. Fire departments are going to roll their sirens um, to give the first sign of the patriotic fire that has lit the torch of hope in our hearts and seeing the resurgence in power and courage of our race. Um, kids are going to be let out of school to wave flags. And then, like, all drivers are basically told, like, the minute you find out Carranza lands, you honk your horn as long and loud as you can. Awesome. I love that. So this is a huge deal, right? A really big deal for Mexico. We continue this tradition in New Jersey at all times. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is That's what, right. Whenever you honk your horn, you're That's honoring it. the landing of Emilio Carranza. <laughs> That's going to be our new uh, bumper yeah. sticker. Well honk if you... <laughs> Honk if you love Carranza. Yeah, exactly. I, I honk for Carranza. You know, that should be the next shirt that you guys have on uh, belowthecollar.com. Honk for Carranza. <laughs> I think it should be. And it should just be a picture of him in that, like, dapper leather jumpsuit. Although he does bear an uncanny resemblance to H.P. Lovecraft. I can kind of see that. That was a look, though, then. That was like a... So it's possible that he had to have his jaw reconstructed. I didn't find this in a newspaper, but like on the internet, I did see that he had to have his jaw reconstructed. Whoa! So that might be a thing. If you go to Leo's Yum Yum, they have his original jaw. In the, <laughs> oh, no. Right next to no, the, no, the lime no. Yum Yum. For $1,000, you can eat some Yum Yum out of his jaw. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, okay. And they wash it in between, though. It's okay. So, so... Amidst all this, like, hey, Mexico's just gonna, you know, go crazy with celebration. Carranza gets forced down near Mooresville, Carolina, because of fog 300 miles short of Washington, D.C. But why ruin a good plan, right? They go crazy. So, in fact, like in Mexico City, the church bells, the city's church bell tolls, church bells toll for the first time since April 1926. Mm. Um, there was a conflict between President Caius and the Mexican. Mexican Catholic Church. Anyway, and so like people are filling the streets and the New York Times reports nothing in the history of Mexico has even stirred the people as this accomplishment has done. So look, Carranza's in Washington, D.C. from like June 13th to June 16th. He's, you know, he's going on a lot of like goodwill things. He lays a wreath. Who's the president of the U.S. at this time? Funny you should ask, because Carranza was welcomed to the White House by President Cal Coolidge for luncheon, but, and I quote, a hasty check on the White House icebox showed it was bare, forcing an embarrassed Coolidge to buy Carranza lunch at the nearby Pan American building. That's probably a nice lunch, though. Huh. Yeah, but I mean, like, dude, you're, you think you'd be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. You go to the White House, you expect it happens. Somebody dropped the ball. Something, right? Like, just like, you know, like that one popsicle that like you forgot about that's like covered in ice in the back. No. It didn't even have an Entenmann's crumb cake or anything no, like that. That's oh, so. my gosh. We crumb cake, you know, so yeah. ain't right. Uh, ain't right. I mean, he's widely regarded as like the one of the worst presidents of the United States. Right. Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> he did. He did nothing. And including like, oh, we have like one of the most famous pilots in the world coming to visit, and I don't even have like a couple of triscuits in the White House to right. give this guy. He's like, wait a minute, isn't that guy flying in today? Oh shit! <laughs> oh, fuck. I forgot. Quick, run to the liquor store. <laughs> I think the excuse is he was planning to go to the Summer White House, which is like I didn't even know was a thing. So, although I'm aware of the Texas White House, there was a Summer White House in New Jersey, which really? I believe was in Long Branch. Wow. Oh, I don't I th- think I knew that. We'll yeah, like, it, it. are we still supposed to go to the governor's mansion right here in uh, Island Beach State Park? Yeah. Drum thwack it? Or the other? Yeah, oh, no, that's like, like, 
the governor. I sure thought we were allowed has. to go and uh, stay there for the night. Was that part of the perks? <laughs> we did ask. The whole Governor Murphy thing. Come on. Yeah, I think he was pretty um, in in uh, inconclusive with his his response to that question. If I I can get to it really easy. I know all the dunes over there. There's there was another one, uh, the one that Christie was on in Island Beach State Park, though. Right, that famous p- photo. Yeah, from Governor the Star Ledger. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. So a couple other, I mean, like we'll cut this a little bit short, but so one thing is they find out that he broke a wheel while he's in Washington um, that Uh, didn't go notice an inspection. So he has to postpone mm -hmm. another flight. And while he's there, there's like this proposed Mexican U.S. air race in September of 1928. And so Carranza's like, yeah, I'll go. And the quote is, if I am living after my flight back home, which is oh, that's not good. A bit, a bit depressing, based on what you know. Yeah, at. maybe he, uh, he saw it coming, huh? He had a bad feeling, yeah. Yeah, so pulled to John Denver, almost heaven. Oh man, <laughs> pine barrens. I crashed into a valley <laughs> by the Mullica River. The only thing important is a place called Yum Yums. <laughs> Where I'm immortalized on a billboard. So as a tourist, right, in, in you know, the United States, like Carranza has to go to New York City. So he comes to New York City on June 17th. He has some luncheons. He flies to West Point. Oh. Then he flies to Lowell, Massachusetts, where he makes a speech highlighting the need for more airports and landing fields as a haven for flyers obligated to make forced landings in the United States. Oh. Again, home of Jack Kerouac, Lowell, Massachusetts. And then Carranza flies with Lindbergh to Detroit uh, for the start of the Ford Reliability Tour. So, and then, of course, like everyone that eventually makes it to New York City, they realize that, you know, the fun is really across the river in New Jersey. So Carranza comes to, to Teterboro, yeah. New Jersey, to, and maybe I'm reading this wrong, but the Airdrome to have uh, the plane's motor checked out by engineers from Wright Aeronautical Company. And then kind of, dis- you know, he's seen it all. He's been in New Jersey. He's done. He's ready to go home oh, and see his... It's not going to get better than that. Yeah, see his bride of only a few weeks. <laughs> it's crazy there was an airport in Teterboro going back that far. I mean, there's still an airport. Yeah, there's a lot of aviation history in New Jersey, man. Yeah, like yeah I think, I mean, it's not in my notes here, but I read that I think the, after the accident, the plane is taken to Patterson, where there's like a factory that is associated with, with right aviation. Where it's stripped and left on the street <laughs> on uh, milk crates. <laughs> And they claim they claim that insurance money shortly after that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, uh, we found your plane. It's in Patterson. It's at the bottom of the Great Falls. <laughs> yeah. We saw this. We saw the tip of something sticking out of the water. I mean, look, William Carlos Williams does note, you know, Mexico City and uh, the Hill of Chapultepec in Patterson. Maybe you know he's inspired by the fact that the plane was taken there. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. I want to believe it's true that William Carlos Williams <laughs> knew all about this. Mm-hmm. So Carranza's trying to go home July 9th, July 11th. He tries to fly, but is thwarted by strong winds again and the, the full fuel load. So he has this problem. So again, two times he announces he's leaving. He can't. Um, so July 12th, he secretly leaves for Mexico City between thunderstorms. And actually the mm-hmm. plane is on, on um, Long Island. Like the airport is on Long Island. I guess all the airports are still on Long Island in New York. But uh, he did so, like when Carranza leaves, he does so against the advice of the New York City ground crew. 
and um, ignores a personal request from the man- manager of the airfield. Now, I will say, this is what's said after he's already you know had the accent. So maybe you know the guy's uh, trying to save his reputation. I don't know. Hmm. Right, right. So the theory, and like, there's a lot of theories, but the most prominent theory that seems to be the case is an hour and a half into the flight, Carranza encounters a storm in New Jersey. He attempts to land, but the weight of the fuel load in the plane is so heavy that he can't have a safe landing. Also, he's alone. So, like, he, the Philadelphia Inquirer published something that was like, well, if there'd been another person, they could have gotten an axe and, like, smashed the fuel tank to, like, get rid of some of the fuel. As if, as if, you know, <laughs> we just all have smart. a hatchet or an axe lying around. I don't know. <laughs> that also, yeah, that doesn't feel like something you could just, like, even if you, I don't know. Yeah. I, again, I don't know anything about planes, but I feel like you shouldn't be smashing fuel tanks open. Yeah, let's uh, smash this uh, gas tank with a metal axe. That won't spark yeah. and cause the thing <laughs> right. to yeah, right? explode. I have to say, of the papers that I looked at, the Time, New York Times, Washington Post, and uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, the Inquirer was like the harshest on Carranza. So, <laughs> Philly. definitely, like, you know, um, some attitude there, as, as you might expect. Um, so <laughs> it was a one-word article in the Philadelphia Inquirer. It just said, "Good, he deserved it." <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Honestly, maybe they're upset because it doesn't appear that he actually goes to Philadelphia, and they're like, "Wait, he went to Teterboro and not to Philly? Like that, we can't have Philly. that. It's unacceptable." So, um, so basically, as a result, the plane crashes in a bog near Chatsworth, New Jersey, um, and the wreckage of the plane. And Carranza's remains are found by barrier picker John Henry Carr in uh, or near a mm. bog on July 13th. Oh, man. Uh, and so the news reaches Mexico, who goes into uh, an intense period of mourning. Um, all theaters close. All social events are canceled. President-elect Obregón actually was supposed to arrive in Mexico City as part of his like taking control of the nation as president. He decides that he's going to cancel all of his celebrations and says that Carranza should be the only man in Mexico honored at that time. Mm. Um, In Mexico City, all labor is halted for five minutes. Other Mexican communities close entirely. Um, And to kind of in honor, um, apparently there are reports that Mexico will promote Carranza to general, like in recognition of his achievement, but later that decision is is apparently reversed. Um, in New Jersey, Carranza's remains are transported to New York City, where he's laid in state under flag under the flags of U.S. and Mexico. Um, and the U.S. even says it offers to enlist a warship to transport his body back to Mexico, but Mexico requests it be transported by train. And again, in both in New York City and in Mexico, all flags were ordered flown at half mast. So clearly, this is someone that was honored not only in Mexico, but also in New York. Um, Brian, you and I were chatting the other day as we, as we do. Actually, I think we were, uh, we were, we were taking a stroll to get to Cosmos lemon ice together. <laughs> we were. And, uh, which is amazing. And I bring it up constantly and think everyone should go have the Cosmos as often as possible. Cause it's so good. It was amazing. It was so good. You told me something really interesting is that after the, Carranza's plane, like the wreckage was discovered, like a certain number of things went missing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, which I found really fascinating. 
So it's, I mean, I, I can skip ahead. Um, so on July 20th. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. No, it's totally fine. Uh, on July 23rd. Um, yeah. Do you, do you want to skip ahead or do you, I mean, it's choose your own adventure time. <laughs> no, go for it. Keep, keep the, keep the timeline. All right, we'll get back. We'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. Um, so um, basically Carranza's accident dominates the Mexican newspapers until July 17th when uh, President-elect Obregón is assassinated at a garden party by a 26-year-old artist who was uh, sketching caricatures of partygoers as a means of covering the assassination attempt. Wow. Yeah, that's good cover. Yeah. Um, and Obregón's supporters basically claim that Caius's, uh minister of labor was connected to the assassination um, and actually threatened war if this minister doesn't resign. Um and again, this is like the assassination of the nation's president-elect is the only thing that kind of drives Carranza from the headlines and, and not for all that long. Um, on July 18th in New York City, Broadway gets shut down for an hour-long parade um, where Carranza's remains are escorted to New York Penn Station by 10,000 soldiers. Whoa. 200,000 people gather on Broadway to, to honor Carranza. Um, and there are even like shots, like a gun salute outside of Penn Station. Um, and then members of the New York and New Jersey National Guards are selected to accompany Carranza and his father to Mexico City. On the path, you know, um, Carranza is honored at several stops in both the United States and Mexico. Um, finally, the remains make it to Mexico City on the 23rd where he's, the remains are greeted by a crowd of 500,000 people. Holy shit. Carpeted the streets of Mexico City in flowers. He's accompanied by some reports as high as 100,000 soldiers on a 5 to 10 mile march. Again, sources differ from the train station to Mexico's Ministry of War, where he's laid in state. Um, and then Carranza's funeral attracts a massive crowd in Mexico City. Um, Mexico's military aviators flew overhead to pay homage to Carranza. Um, but, and he's actually buried with full military honors in Mexico's rotunda of illustrious persons, which is, look, I don't, I, I don't know. The newspaper report, this is like Mexico's Westminster Abbey, huh. but then I'm like, well, what if I don't know what Westminster, I mean, I do, but it's like, well, that's confusing. But so he's in this, this area of a cemetery that has like, uh, other like Mexican presidents are, are among the people interred there. So. The saddest thing about this story is that, of course, he ended up at Penn Station. <laughs> yeah. Ah, I'm stuck at Penn Station. <laughs> Poor guy. Oh, my God, he goes to the bathroom. Ironically, though, President Caius does not attend the funeral, um, uh, citing an illness, but probably a wise decision mm. since, you know, Obregon's uh, followers had threatened violence and uh, Caius's minister of labor was uh, implicated in Obregon's death. So maybe illness, maybe, you know trying to keep the situation calm. Yeah, he didn't want his character drawn that day. He's like, I'm good. I got one at the seaside boardwalk. I'm good. I got enough of those. For- <laughs> I'm all set. So, and then the, the thing that, that we discussed that, that Mike brought up earlier, in Mount Holly, New Jersey, on July 23rd, a New Jersey man returned two rings, a military medal, and clothing that belonged to wow. Carranza to local detectives. The unnamed man from Chatsworth removed these items from a small bag that he found near the site of the plane wreckage. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, 
incites a guilty conscious and uh, <gasps> despite oh, the man. fact that he cites a guilty conscious several items including a watch and other medals remained unaccounted for <laughs> so guilty but not like that guilty he kind of split the difference on that. They're, lucky, they're lucky they got this back <laughs> yeah exactly and of course right you you crash land in new jersey you're like this illustrious like pilot. what happens like a guy like robs you <laughs> you get pickpocketed <laughs> at least i brought your wallet back yeah, I, yeah. you know but the other the cash I, t- I, t- I don't know what happened to that watch although that means that those things are still around yeah are probably like going to turn up at a garage sale in South Jersey. Uh, I think Nick and Andrea, you guys need to be on the lookout. Keeping our eyes peeled. Somebody's probably buried with his watch like in the ground somewhere. Yeah, right. Absolutely. We need to look out for these things. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I bet we could find them. What do we think the chances of Carranza haunting... Wait, so actually I have two questions. Is the memorial where the crash site actually was and... Also, do you think that his ghost is haunting the Pine Barrens? We, we have answers to both, actually. Oh, all right. God. I <laughs> love this. But so I did want to point out, though, you know, the man returned some personal clothing that belonged to Carranza. Had it been uh, New Jersey's The World shirt, I don't <laughs> think it would have been returned. <laughs> so if you want a shirt that's unreturnable, Go to uh, belowthecollar.com. <laughs> it's Look definitely unreturnable. Chris Gethard's store. Like, you'll keep it forever. So, all right. They found every piece of clothes that he had except for his underwear, strangely. <laughs> and a missing left sock. <laughs> my, my guess is the clothes he was wearing were incinerated based on some reports that I deemed um, maybe too gruesome to uh, share oh. here. No, that's the whole point. Yeah, not, oh, not here. <laughs> Nothing's too yeah. gruesome. Well, okay. Uh, so, yeah, the, the body was incinerated. Did he lose his head or no? Did his head come off? Uh, completely incinerated, and um, every step, there's a closed coffin. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, like, flying wow. was like, really, again. Yeah, plus he was riding on the gas tank, right? Yeah. That was, like, the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oof. So, um, so his legacy, um, you know, we talked about earlier. Um, there are schools and cities named after him in Mexico. Um, in, in Coahuila, his native state, there's a tax on, um, movies, which they call cinematography functions of up between two and five cents for 45 days to provide like a pension for his mother and widow. Oh, wow. Um, that's amazing. The month after his, his accident, uh, a second pilot dies in Pennsylvania. And so there's like this real reevaluation of the dangers of flying in the United States, and kind of return to his speech in Lowell where he's calling for more airstrips and, and airports. Right. Um, and then uh, in Mexico, some poems are, are written and a song in, that are submitted to the Mexican press in honor of Carranza. So, and you're going to sing that for us now? I'm not going to sing it, but I can read you excerpts. Would you like oh, to hear cool. excerpts? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So I have to say, I, I love the poem. The song is a little bit... I, I don't know. Um, I had a little trouble following it. Again, these are not the. I'm sure the fault is mine that I'm not understanding some of the allusions, right, in, in Mexican <laughs> poetry, because I don't really read that. But so uh, the song begins with In this grave hour, the golden metaphor of your plane has put an exclamation point on the blue wonder of the mountains. Young champion of the horizon. Gambler racing with lightning bolts. Number one on the table of light. I'm sure that I have 
messed that up. That's one where, yeah, that's on me. Uh, where the broad hands of, of men have thrown life themselves like throwing a discus. Um, brother, you had the future in your hands and with childless careless, childish carelessness, you dropped it like a doll, which seems oh. less congratulatory. Yeah. Um, and then runner of the American skies of the skies of America that one day you saw the sleepy continent sleeping like a child under the bare feet of your plane and that you enjoyed like no other from a, and I'm sure I've gotten this wrong, from a hurricane roof where streamers of lightning played hide and seek with your eyes. Who could see the envy of the eagles downcast as in like crestfallen um, or despondent from the antechambers of mountains for not being able to fly as you did on the back of a spine of wonder. Ooh. And you're just translating this, right? Yeah. Just so people, yeah, people know. Like, I just want yeah. them to know that you're actually like translating. These this. aren't your words yeah. that you just no, no, love. No, no, no. Right? Yeah. I, love Mexican history so much that you wrote this yourself. No, no. Um, Crazy. And and again, probably some of this because of like the you know artistic illusions. I I, I probably have gotten some of this one very very wrong. So um, and then the poem uh, to you, hero of the air who with the impetus of the magical propeller of your plane sailed through space to you representative of the bronze race of Qualtemoc's Qua race who carried your in your veins the blood of a patriot and a warrior mm. you who wrote with wings of steel the unknown canon of the heights tracing the gap towards progress to give name and glory to your country and collect the unfading laurels for your brow to you who I would say how much I admire you you succumb bravely, falling like a condor from the vastness of space. Awesome. It's like a lifetime song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything keeps coming back to lifetime. <laughs> I'm just I'm impressed that you even bothered to do that translation for us, so thank you. Being involved in the type of history that you're involved in, do you speak Spanish fluently? I speak Spanish. I read Spanish probably fluently in most cases um so all right so like most of well you had to prove it for your for your cops and stuff right yes i mean like yeah, uh, yeah obviously i had to demonstrate his brother took that test for him that would be great if i had a brother but i i don't so um <laughs> but no so i mean yeah but so like the stuff that i read is mostly like town yeah, it's just i'm always interested how things are like you know especially in in poetry and stuff like that things are always taken differently mm -hmm. especially in another language. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think maybe I'm missing some of the nuance there. But yeah, I mean, like, mostly what I read was, like, town council records and people complaining that, like, the town council was raising taxes. <laughs> uh, and also, like, the construction of, like, I, I can tell you all about, like, again, look, my Spanish is spoken is horrible. If you've ever seen King of the Hill, I am Peggy Hill on that show. That's the best. Um, I love that. But yeah, so like I learned about like ceilings and ventilation and like, you know, construction things as well in, in Mexico. May I have, mm. but yeah, this is somewhat outside of, of what, you know, my expertise is in or what I've read in the past. So, all right, 1930, uh, a, a marker honoring Carranza is erected by the Central Railroad of New Jersey. And in 1931, the children of Mexico, and this is like, this is awesome. So the monument that, that I think we've all seen, this is what I, I mean, for me, this is like the, I don't know. Adventure. What if we called it the nuance window? <laughs> the nuance window. The children of Mexico uh, raise funds to create a memorial to Carranza in the Pine Barrens. Actual Mexican stone is shipped to New Jersey for the memorial, 
which is carved and unveiled in uh, 1931. Cool. A thousand people attend this dedication. Ah, cool. The memorial becomes the site of annual celebrations honoring Carranza and his achievements. These celebrations were, and I, I believe, continue to be organized by the Mount Holly American Legion. Oh, cool. And one of their members for his kind of dedication to the celebration of Carranza uh, was actually awarded Mexico's second highest military honor in 1988. Um, Just some dude from Mount Holly? Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, and so the Mount, if you, and look, I have the website, but if you Google uh, Mount Holly Legion, Emilio Carranza, they have a website dedicated to Emilio Carranza that... Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Basically covers. Look, Pinky swear. I I did the research. I can show you where I did the research in my notes. But <laughs> I found this website this morning while I was like kind of goofing around, and it basically has everything I've just told you that you put all the work into. Well, they already did it for you. <laughs> you know, we can verify that you know that their their account is accurate. Um, and so yeah. over the years, kind of cool. the celebration fades, and in two thousand and two. Um, the annual celebration is, is a there's an attempt to revive it. Um, Boy Scouts get involved. Um, mm. Mount Holly Mayor William Heller basically pledged to ensure that Carranza's memory would not fade away from New Jersey. And um, I have a little bit more, but to kind of close this serious part, I'd like to think that in some small way, what we're doing here today is contributing to the mission set forth by Mayor Heller, yeah. uh, who yeah. unfortunately passed away in 2017. So. We need to keep the memorial alive. Oh, yeah. Next year on the anniversary of his, his death, we should all go down there and have like a Carranza celebration. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, funny you should say that because uh, let's take a, a step into folklore, myths, and legends about the, the monument itself. So... Um, in 1976, the New York Times did a piece on the monument. While they were there, um, a local resident shared a legend that anyone who spent the night at the monument around the annual memorial ceremony would, quote, receive a mysterious $2,000. Yet despite the fact that anyone who attempted this feat could take any gun they wanted, so Nick, you know, should be good, right? Yeah, definitely. Um with them, the resident noted that no one had ever stayed the night. Oh, done. No shit. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's, yeah. That's crazy. I wonder what drives them out. Oh. It looks a lot nicer than the last time I saw it because I'm seeing this celebration from this past year. Yeah. Or this past July. And uh, it looks like it was really nice. They put like uh, a bluestone curb around it with like red mulch. Oh, wow. And some nice plants. And they have another picture of him right there. It's really nice. And he looks quite, quite dapper there also. Nice. Not his winter outfit. I'm really happy to hear that. That's, yeah. that's awesome. But look, for those people that don't have the constitution to face the dangers of the Carranza Monument, mm-hmm. what if instead you made plans to attend the New Jersey is the World live show at House of Independence <laughs> at Asbury Park on September 7th at 8 p.m.? There's an alternative, an alternative for you. So Another way to celebrate. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the theme will be, but you know, if, if you don't want to spend that's the a- night... In the Pine Barrens. We're having a Carranza seance. Yeah, it's Amelia Carranza the musical. <laughs> it's called I'm Carranza. I'm excited to see how you pulled that off. That's a thing. Oh, my God. We can make tons of money doing that. Mike D, you're going to have to be Emilio himself. No. We'll just uh, make Take Today do it again. Oh, Chris yeah. is going to have to be Emilio. Chris has to be Emilio. Oh, my God. It'd be so great. There you go. But I thought he was only allowed to perform at malls. 
when he sings. Yeah, it's true. We have to hope he's got his voice back by then. Actually, Don should be Emilio. <laughs> it's true, too. He always looks good with a giant sombrero on, too. And Fierro can be the plane that goes down and gets absolutely obliterated as uh, <laughs> as is the theme for that poor guy. <laughs> he's going to leap leap from the, the, the lighting truss at House of That's Independence right. just onto the stage. Uh-huh. Yeah. While holding two <laughs> Roman candles. He'll do it yeah. if we ask nicely. Sorry, Nick, you're committed now. <laughs> By 1993, the Carranza Monument becomes incorporated into travel guides um, and was listed as, quote, a fun, loony, and oddball tourist spot. The ever-serious New York Times lamented that the site of an international tragedy had become a curiosity to people some 65 years later. Yeah, why not? Always the wet blanket to New York. (laughs) So so let's move on to uh, Weird New Jersey and what I found. I found it on the website. Now, look. I have uh, apparently issue fifty four of New Jersey of of uh, Weird New Jersey has a feature on it. I couldn't find my copy. I have fifty five and fifty three, but like you know, always with excuses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know, doctor. Well, so uh, someone named Loco Kitty. By the way, if you're Loco Kitty, join the Patreon and comment <laughs> on the post to, to let us know more. Um, Shared some local lore. Apparently, if you park your car and flash your lights at the monument three times and yell Emilio out the window, you will see the plane. Loco Kitty reports that when they visited, uh, they tried this and their friend's car stalled out. And once the car started, uh, they left. But people in the car, as they pulled away, were followed by lights that were too high to be a car and too low. Yeah, too high to be a car, too low to be a plane. Uh, Alfred B. reports that there were ghosts at the memorial. Look, for some reason, Albert B. decided, and by the way, Albert B., join up, <laughs> comment, tell, I'd love to hear more about why you made this decision. Um, climbed the memorial to take pictures, and when he took pictures, had pictures of people in the f- with fog around them while standing on top of the Carranza Memorial, which... I believe it respectfully seems like a really bad idea <laughs> because he slipped slipped while on top of the monument only to be caught by someone who was not there <gasps> climbing to the top of that would be extremely difficult yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's like some alex honnold stuff like climbing up there that's like you don't go to somebody's like i mean not that he was buried there but like anytime you do something like that yeah no i believe you no. goes back to my haunted house thing you know Yes, no, no, no climbing, no climbing the Carranza Memorial people. Don't, yeah, don't, don't agitate the spirits. Wow. So I, I guess in closing, my personal experience was, you know, one Thanksgiving, one October, we did drive out to the monument, our family, and when we were there, we like read all these reports that like ghosts call cause your car to stall out, or like cars do stall out at the memorial for uh, paranormal reasons. And we got there, we got out, we walked around, and, and you know viewed the memorial and of course our car did not uh start when we got back in Mm. wait it didn't start get out of here no i mean like it did on like the third try but our car stalled um and we like we were i was freaked out personally freaked out Um, dr brian hand to god hand to god yeah yeah it really didn't start no it didn't start yeah swear to god holy shit swear to god yeah yeah i mean that happened to when when geth and i went to the devil's tower that happened like his car stopped. Probably all the EMFs from the yeah. spirits, man. Yeah, yeah seriously. Good. Totally. They, it, our EMF detector was off the, <laughs> off the charts. This is a really intense story. Yeah, my gosh. Too much. 
Too much. Yeah, it's crazy. We should build another monument across from the current monument that's twice the size of that monument. Called like real, real Carranza Memorial, and it'll make him like happy, <laughs> and go. he won't, he, he won't, yeah, he won't torment people. Carranzas too, because he's like ah, oh, yeah, exactly. It is crazy that it had that it was such a big deal at the time, and now nobody except a bunch of people in Mount Holly and us apparently even think about it anymore you know history gets forgotten right yeah Yeah, i guess planes don't hold the like the place in people's hearts i think there's just so many tragic yeah so many tragic like air related deaths at that time period in american history because most of the people who were flying were probably affluent people and like you know um you know established in society and they're the ones that had access to like being able to fly planes and you know there's all these tragic stories of oh he could have been this or Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's crazy. And to, to be fair, you know, uh, New Jersey's history with aviation um, kind of takes a dark turn shortly after the, you know, I mean. So you're saying Carranza had to do with the Hindenburg? <laughs> no, is this, no. The, is this the tie-in? Is this what we're going for? No, I'm, I'm saying that uh, Charles Lindbergh had connections to uh, the Nazi party in Germany. Shocker. And you can go, Mike D's going to, we're going to get a response from Mike, but in Princeton, there is uh, this. There is a, there, you know, there's a house in Princeton. We toured, we went, all right, my wife and I went to see, they have these displays of Christmas trees, and I don't remember the places. Oh, that's going to do like the house tours. Yeah, but it was just. Do, like holiday house tours? It was just this one house, I guess. And upstairs they have like uh, this whole uh, museum to um, to Lindbergh. And they, they so I, we're walking through and I kind of like turned to my wife and I was like, I wonder if they have the, the medal that he received from Hitler. And Jesus. guess what? They do. They do. So if you oh, want to see that. Get out of here, for real? Yeah, it's in Princeton, yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Jesus Christ. It's the medal Princeton deserves. <laughs> oh. Fuckers. Sorry, I'm team, I'm team Carranza, not team Lindbergh. Yeah. Did you see what Nick, Nick has just left the screen? He went to get Pringles. <laughs> I always do that. I can still hear you the whole time. Though. I had to get Pringles. Yeah, don't take that personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm still here. I got that. I have a really long cord. I can walk like over my entire apartment. He's got to be able to retrieve snacks at any moment. You can't, be, you can't tether Bonaduce. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Unless I chain myself to the floor. I thought I thought you were uh, trying to escape the quiz that we talked about. Are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. Hit me. What kind of what kind of chips you got there, Bonaduce? Everybody's going to want to know. They're Pringles, but they're ranch. Um, yesterday I had the hard-to-find um, sour cream and cheddar cheese ones. Oh. Oh. They have- but these are easy. I bring them to the beach because they're in a tube, and you stick them in your bag, and you're good. Yeah, and then... They don't get crushed. And then if the All beach right. has no uh, alcohol, then you just slip the bottle inside the Pringles can and pretend like you're... Shotgunning Pringles. Chugging some. I actually bring my Stanley... <laughs> my Stanley cooler will keep... Um, my thermos will keep four beers ice cold it's like three and a half beers and you put it in there and it can bring it on the beach and it's like when you open it up it's like ice cold that's it's like the best thermos that's the for best me. yeah and, and everybody thinks you're drinking coffee the whole time so it's even better. uh-huh well i know that that's really smart the next time you fill that up you should uh fill it up in honor of emilio carranza filling his gas tank <laughs> <laughs> i'll go dump some out in the ocean pour out pour, I'll pour out one for my dead uh dead homie well, we have to go down there now as a group for a group visit. It's not far from me. I mean, it's probably like a half hour. Yeah, I mean, I was just there. 35 minutes. Whatever, two, two weeks ago. Like literally just there um, getting my yum yum. I lived in Mount Holly for a few years. I don't remember ever hearing about the, uh, the celebration. but No, we have to bring, this, bring the celebration back. Gotta come back. 
Yeah, for sure. But it does sound, I mean, like, with what, it sounds like it's pretty like it, happening it though. It does now. sound like it's going on. So. Like the VFWs involved and all that. Yeah, it's cool. Well, they I saw this year that um, Bruce was selling tickets for it, and they were sixty five hundred dollars each to attend the ceremony. If you want it, he may or may not be there. You have to just gamble. He'll have his knockoff down there. Yeah, Bryce Bryce Springsteen. Bryce, <laughs> Bryce, Bryce is a distant his illegitimate son. <laughs> So I hope that I know that I definitely learned a ton about Carranza, which is, I mean, and it's something, like I said at the beginning, that we've brought up so many times on this show, but literally knew nothing about. So I really have to sincerely thank, uh, thank you, Dr. Brian, for for coming on to shine some light on our uh, ignorance about what's actually a super cool Jersey story. I mean, ultimately like every New Jersey story, it ends up as tragedy, (laughs) which is no surprise, but it's still a very cool and like fascinating story. So, uh, I I look forward to, uh, having you come back on for another one of these very, very soon. I'm intrigued by the summer white house actually. Yes. So we shall see. Put that on your next list. Summer White House coming up, baby. Begin your begin your research now. All right, Emilio Carranza out. Thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World is Chris Gethard, Nikki Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Cop, and Mike D. New Jersey is the World is produced and edited by Carson Cop, Mike D, and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the World and on Instagram at New Jersey is the World. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the World at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the World on your favorite podcast service. If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the World. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World, where New Jersey is the world.